Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science Episode 92. We are proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot. Joined this week, we're just doing a duo show, Michelle Wintering. What's up, Matt? Hi, Michelle. I need to say hi, buddy, from, from Mike since he's not yeah. here. Hi, buddy. Hey. Uh, we want to hear from you at home. Always head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and you can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798, or you can find us at patreon.com slash speechsciencepodcast, and we are all over social media with the hashtag SSpod. Uh, Michelle, I've had a wonderful, weirdly week, and I cannot catch up on sleep. A wonderful, weirdly week. Oh, this is an interesting description. Do tell, Matt. So I, uh, I'm an Eagle Scout, and I have decided to help run my son's Cub Scout den. So I am the now Cub Scout den leader. Oh, Matt's and, a den uh, leader. Yeah. But this past weekend was Peter Loon, which is a huge Boy Scout camp out that they finally let Cub Scouts go to. And they said there were almost 8,000 Scouts. So in the course of a day, I helped my six-year-old shoot a bow and arrow. He climbed a eight-foot rock wall all the way to the top. So if you're my Facebook friend, that's why I'm wearing a high, uh, like a helmet and he's wearing a helmet because we don't want anything falling off the tower at eight foot. Um, what else did we do? We hiked up and down a dam. We did a whole bunch of other stuff. And then your husband's army. He is in the army. Yep. So the mili- the U S army had a couple black Hawk helicopters land on site. Oh, that's fun. And then at the camp out, we had Lieutenant Colonel war, uh, word, um, talk to all the scouts about, you know, how important scouting is and then how important the military is. And then out of nowhere, Two members of the U.S. Black Daggers uh, parachuted in in the middle of the night with fireworks coming off of somewhere, uh, and the whole camp out went awesome. Went awesome. That's great. That sounds like an epic camp right there. 
that was all one day. <laughs> one day. That is an epic day, especially for a kindergartner. Yeah, a six-year-old yeah. kindergartner, a lion <laughs> scout. That's awesome. But, we speaking of Blackhawks, um, you know that I live on an army base, so right, 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 right. We have there's an airfield, you know, a couple miles from us. So every night, for the most part, every night in the evenings before sundown, the helicopters of the Blackhawks are making mm-hmm. some loops and flights. And my son has gotten so used to them, and he's 15 months old now. He's actually <laughs> started to try signing them. Like he'll Aww. hear them. And he'll like point to his ear and point outside and go, ooh. <laughs> and then when, if we're outside, he stops whatever he's doing and watches the helicopter. And he doesn't know the sign for helicopter, but he's trying to say the sign for airplane. That's um, awesome. Which is pretty cool. So. Uh, I just want you to know that at 33, I'm taking almost a week to recover from that camp out. My son recovered within the next day on Sunday morning. <laughs> There you um, go. That's because we can't bounce pack quite as quickly. Right. Yeah. However, if you ever get an opportunity to see the Black Daggers jump out of a helicopter, or not out of a helicopter, out of an airplane, that is the coolest thing I think I've seen in a long time. I, I haven't seen that. That sounds it's great. It's like pitch black. And so supposedly they were at 12,000 feet. And all you see is this like red and green light of the plane. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, like, two firework streaks come out of nowhere and they landed within a 10 foot uh, X in front of the campfire. That's very awesome. I'm like, what is this? This is so cool. I want this camp out now. (laughs) Well, it comes back in two years. So there you go. Oh yeah. It's a biannual thing. (laughs) Yeah. So how was your week? (laughs) Not nearly that exciting. You should have had me start, Matt. Come on. I know, but you got to sell up the next person here. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I'll see if I can bring you home. No, um, uh, honestly, it's been pretty low key. Uh, you know, major shout out to all the parents out there who, who do the solo parenting thing on their own for real without, uh, you know, a second parent because my husband's been out of town for work. Um, he travels a lot for work, but uh, gone for several weeks. And um, especially with a teething little one, it's been a challenge. But uh, he is growing and learning and work is going well. I get to do co-treats. I think I mentioned to you before um, in the setting I'm in, an outpatient clinic, peds clinic. And the OT I'm working with is awesome and energetic and uh young and knows a ton of new research and just has been challenging me and I think we've I've enjoyed working with her so um yeah things are going well nothing nothing too too exciting like people jumping out of airplanes with <laughs> with fireworks uh although I wish I could say that I I can hear some Blackhawks going right right See, now though so they might be coming they might be practicing you don't know it all the camp out also ended with 35 minute fireworks show afterwards oh my goodness have you um have you ever been skydiving Matt? no I have a uh exceptional fear of heights and not dying Oh, you and my husband will get along then. Before right? before we were married, he he watched me jump out of an airplane and said he would never do it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have been up in a Cessna plane, though, uh, filming the Finger Lakes of New York. Of I, fl- New York. I flew a Cessna plane for like one minute. But... Did you really? <laughs> yeah. I was in the backseat with a camera, so. That's cool, too. Uh, coming up on this week's episode, it is National International Pronouns Day. 
And Michelle, uh, you had an interview based around this, right? I did with um, a woman known as the speech stylist out of California. And uh, she kind of fell into, you'll hear more in the interview, but fell into working with um, transgender uh, woman. I'll make sure I say that correctly. And does teletherapy as well as in-person therapy, uh, voice therapy for that. So the voice stylist, uh, interesting interview. Hope you enjoy it. That is pretty cool. I would work with transgender voice patients. I've done it a little bit with students and I can talk more about like the body language and, and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the voice, you have to really know what you're doing. And my level of voice therapy ends at trying to get someone to be louder. And that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think, correct me if I'm wrong, if you felt the same, I know we went to the same grad program, but a lot of, I've worked in different states now with grads from all different programs around the country. And everyone I've talked to, I think right out the gate, most of us feel often the weakest in voice and dysphagia, Mm -hmm. unless you get that clinical experience, you lucked out with a placement or you were able to seek it out. Um, So it's just, it's something that we definitely need continuing education on, or we need training on or um, unless you're working in that setting, you're not going to get it. Well, and, and I kind of put that up with like accent modification a little bit. There are some people that love accent modification and there are people like myself that just can't do it. And there are some people that love voice therapy. And I am so glad that there are people like that because if you come to me after a major stroke, I can get your voice back to where close to where it was. Mm-hmm. But if you want to try to get back for singing Um, or if you want to get transfer transgender voice, I'm not the therapist for you because I am not good at that stuff. Yeah. That, that to me is like a higher level specialty. If you're, um, if you are someone who used your voice for Mm -hmm. singing or performing, then you're going to need, you know, you might start with me, I think as a voice therapist, (laughs) but then I would pass you on to someone else who has, has a higher level of, of skill. <laughs> yeah, but has a higher level of skill in that area or maybe knows singing and voice far better, like from the singing side, That's much fair. better than I do as well. That's fair. Yeah. All right. So coming up also on this show, we are going to talk a little bit about uh, Down syndrome and a voice study, also virtual reality and how it can affect your therapy. And the new craze of over-the-counter hearing aids, but I thought we would start with a roundup of a story we did two weeks ago with Julie when she guest starred or guest starred guest host on our show. Uh, the PDPM model has taken off. Oh, she was the star people, of that episode. So yeah. she guest people starred. People are not happy with PDPM right now. I mean, understandably, especially if it's affecting your your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the blog article out of the Leader Live by Bridget Murray Law. She's interviewed a couple people. And as Julie predicted on the show back on episode 90, layoffs and pay cuts are hitting strong. I don't know if you've been following across the Facebook pages, but uh, it's been hit hard with a lot of some experienced SLPs finding out that they're losing their jobs or losing a lot of their pay. And a lot of times it's just through an email. It's not even personal. Yeah, you know, I looked at this article from the ASHA blog, and I think what bothered me the most is, you know, ASHA made it very clear in this as well that that's not, we can say it as much as we want, that's not how it should be, because these funding changes shouldn't just mean cut therapists, but Mm -hmm. that's the outcome that's happening. 
Well, and it's also it sucks for the the therapist to lose their job to lose their pay. But if you look at it from a patient model, yeah, this I, is not this good. name is very deceptive in my opinion. Yeah, because <laughs> it stands for patient directed payment model. Mm-hmm. So is this really the best for the patients? And and I I could talk till I'm blue in the face about it, but um, and I'm not That's even in that setting. <laughs> I'm not even in that setting, but I'm I'm frustrated for my friends in those settings and their patients and even for the other therapists who are still in those settings because say you lose one SLP I can only assume that the caseload of the remaining SLP is mm-hmm. going to increase uh here's the story from a West Texas SLP uh I'm assuming it's a she says I had a two-week post trach removal patient who has speech language voice cognition and swallowing deficits and was given 15 minutes to serve him today 15 minutes to handle everything. You know, if this was my parent or my grandparent, I would be beyond. I'd be livid. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I I remember being in a um, nursing home for my grandpa long before I was in grad school for speech when he was seeing speech therapy. And, um, you know, I, he had a great therapist, but, but I could, I, I would not have been happy if, they were saying, oh, okay, 14 minutes, we're in and out. 13 minutes, we're in and out. Whatever it is. It's- I, I feel bad sometimes when I'm doing home care and a visit only goes 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine cutting that in half. Like, in 15 minutes, I'm just asking them how their day is, and we're just getting done with warm-up act- and, or activities. Or <laughs> taking vitals at the beginning, getting right. things set up. Like <laughs> I know that's not therapy billable time, but um, that's still time. <laughs> yep. And people are wondering what to do. Uh, I know Julie is running the charge on a bunch of different Facebook groups. Co- we got to contact senators. We got to contact our Congress people. We got to contact whoever we can to keep bringing this to light because this is not this is not good for the future of our field, and this is not good at all for the future of our future patients. Yeah, and I which think- I'm sure I'll be one here in the next twenty years. <laughs> Hopefully, more than that, Matt. Well, if these things keep coming down the line. <laughs> it's going to stress you right into a nursing home. <laughs> but uh, the one Julie, I work for, by the way, when I retire, I'm like, ooh, I would love to go live there. Well, I haven't talked good. to my wife about that at all, but, you know. Julie made a good point, and I think, Matt, you're a good example of this as well, is that, you know, if we're talking about advocacy and, and what ASHA can do for us, we also have to advocate for ourselves, especially mm-hmm. at the state level, because there's only so much that asha can do um, in a given state i i am not the first one to defend asha i will i will say what asha has done wrong all over Mm -hmm. but i also serve as an asha seal and which can you tell people again with i know you've said it before but state education advocacy leader and basically i kind of help figure out what's going on in the state and bring it to the national seal meetings and we talk about uh different stuff that we can either bring back to our state or whatnot. But what ASHA is not, at least at the organizational level, is they cannot go into your school. They cannot contact your senator mm-hmm. and talk to them. If you give PAC money, yeah, the PAC money goes to, to talk to advocates, to go to Congress and, and do that kind of stuff. But what we need to do as a field, all hundred-something thousand of us, is talk to our 
our elected leaders and tell them that this isn't good. I know that I'll sometimes go to a GAC event, uh, uh, which is like a political activist thing for speech therapy here in the state. And there's maybe 50 SLPs in the Mm -hmm. whole state that show up. And the state senator walks in, sees the 50 of us, says, hi, nice to meet you. And then goes next door because they have 4,000 people Hmm. that want to talk to them. And I don't blame the senator. I mean. Yeah, you're going by. It's a numbers game at that point. Who are you going to talk to? The 50 or the 4,000? Hey, gosh, I know. But you're right. And and the state level is is where the decisions are made for things we've talked about before. Caseload caps Mm -hmm. that exist or don't exist in states. And as much as ASHA can give us the recommendations and say, here's the work load um, calculator, or this is what a caseload should look like. Uh, that's not necessarily going to change in your state or your city or your place of employment. So, yeah, I'm a hundred percent with you. We want to hear from you though, at home, what are you doing to make a difference in our field? Are you advocating head over to our website, speech Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com, or give us a phone call or a text, 614-681-1798, or hit us up on the Twitters or the Instagrams. What's the hashtag there, Michelle? Hashtag SSPod, because I really would love to hear from anybody through Instagram about their experience with PDPM or um, what you're doing in the fallout from it. (laughs) Yeah, I would love to hear a couple of things that way. Uh, Our next article is coming up. Uh, This is out of, again, out of the ASHA leader. Uh, On November 1st, there is a big rule change coming around for our friends in audiology, and it's over-the-counter hearing aids. Is this... My initial reaction is, hey, anything to get more into the hands of people that need them. But then I think about the work that our friends in audiology do and how just putting on a pair of hearing aids over-the-counter... Uh, it's like getting a pair of cheaters from Kroger's. They're going to help you read just a little bit, help you hear just a little bit, but it's not the same as going to my ophthalmologist to get good glasses. I think that's a good analogy, though, because just because there's readers in the, you know, the pharmacy store that somebody picks up because they need a little help doing their crossword mm-hmm. puzzle doesn't mean that optometrists and ophthalmologists are down on business. Right. So I... Having worked with a lot of people who are deaf or hard of hearing who need a hearing aid and even people Mm -hmm. later in life who need a hearing aid and it is not covered at all or um, even, you know, insurance doesn't cover anything. If it covers partial, it maybe it's still going to cost them thousands of dollars. If we could get something to help them. I haven't even looked at this article. I'll be completely honest. But um if we could get something to kind of fill that gap, like a stopgap measure, and if an over-the-counter item does that, then maybe they can start there and get the help they need without having such an extended period without that amplification. Uh, So the article says, for many audiologists, the business depends on fitting and sale of the devices, and some worry that the ease of over-the-counter options will compromise the quality of patient care. So... Comparing it to my glasses, my insurance will cover allow me to go once every two years for an eye exam. Mm-hmm. And then they cover, if I have really good insurance, it'll cover $100 of my $500 pair of glasses. 
there is, you know, there's that concern that if it's not part of your your medical insurance, like spelled out, are people going to go to the audiologist? You know, I. It's tough. I, it, there's it's no, hard because there's no why? Easy answer. Why aren't they covered by insurance? You know, what's the? I, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about the why they're not covered by insurance uh, when we can get we can buy additional coverage for glasses we can get that every year we're talking about vision right why mm-hmm. is hearing aid not covered that i don't know i mean some good insurance has it, but it's like speech therapy some insurances only cover you for six visits a year yeah but most insurances don't mm-hmm. cover for most private insurance does not cover hearing aids. right no 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 you're right yeah. you're right you're right i'm sorry yeah um I, I don't know. I mean, the article talks a little bit about changing the approach of how we look at hearing aids. Mm-hmm. Um, is it that we need to get looser or tighter FDA regulations on these over-the-counter uh, hearing aids? Because, again, if you don't know what you're doing and you get the wrong one, you're going to cause more hearing damage than you do before. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, well, I'm assuming it would probably, this is an assumption, I don't know enough about it, uh, it would probably be a milder correction, mm-hmm. similar yes, to correct. the readers in for correct. a vision. Like, you're not going to get some major hearing loss correction over the counter, unless they're changing something. But... but oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know, it just... The only explanation I've ever gotten for insurance is not covering hearing aids is because they say it's elective. It's an elective device. So how is that? It's not elective to (laughs) hear. Right. It's not elective to, yeah, uh, anyways. (laughs) Well, no. And, and, but you know what though? You, I, I was just thinking about this while you were talking. How many times do you hear about hearing loss because someone put their earbuds in too, too deep and then they blasted the music. So then it all just went right to the eardrum causes mm-hmm. permanent damage you're going to have people that have not well-fitting hearing aids they're going to crank them up because it that's what people do yeah you're going to get some weird feedback they're going to cause permanent damage because they're not going to get them fitted my one of my best friends he's a doctor of audiology and he talks about how important it is for a fitting mm-hmm I mean, have you ever had the uh, have you ever had the molds put in for your ears? I have. I've been looking at them to get like a custom made pair of of uh, like earphones or ear whatever you want to call them. I have earplugs that earplugs made custom for my ear. Yeah, but, but like your ear, you can't just give those to your husband. Nope. And say wear <laughs> they them. They won't fit. <laughs> right, and, and at least with cheaters. Most people have two uh, two ears. Most people have two eyes. They have a nose that can sit. When you say cheaters, cheaters you on. mean the little readers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. call them cheaters. Okay. Um, my mom wears cheaters. She says she doesn't wear glasses. She wears cheaters. But at least for the most part, you could go pick them off the shelf, and they're going to fit you. Mm-hmm. And you may cause damage to your eye because they're not the perfect ones for you, but they're not going to cause physical harm like more hearing loss yeah right these are going to cause damage do we have i don't know if we have too many audiology listeners but if we do i really want to hear from somebody Mm -hmm. who you know works doing fittings and that is a big part of their business please 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 write to us call us text us because i want to know what your thoughts are on on this yeah (laughs) yeah why not 
Speech Unless you don't want to be, still message us. <laughs> SpeechSciencePodcast.com. You can email SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call, 614-681-1798. Hashtag SSPod on all the social medias. Coming up after the break, we'll get into some research about Down syndrome in the voice. Also, the impact of virtual reality in therapy. But coming up first, Michelle, it's your interview. Hey, there you go. Coming soon is the interview with the voice stylist. Awesome. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Everybody, this is Michelle, and I have a chance to sit down today. Well, tonight, really. Um, pretty late in Eastern Standard Time, but she's in Pacific Time, so it's three hours behind me, with uh, Tina Babajanians. And as she just told me before we started recording, is this right that you use that as a test for your kids? Yeah. <laughs> to make sure they're done with speech therapy, if they can say your name correctly. So we'll yeah. see if I get it right the multiple times I say it tonight. Okay. But uh, she is known as the voice stylist, and I'm very excited to talk to her tonight. Uh, lives She lives in Southern California. And Tina, I'll just give you a chance to first introduce yourself. Oh, okay. Well, I'm Tina. Um, I'm a speech therapist, obviously. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Uh yeah, you know, I've just, I've been doing this for 10 years and I uh, have been working, doing just, you know, dabbling here and there in private practice stuff on the side while working full time in schools. And then two years ago, I just decided to dive deep into, you know, gender, gender affirming voice and communication therapy. And I've just gotten such great experiences from doing that that I just really want to share with people. Because I know it's becoming more and more of a, a topic of interest. Wonderful. And um, what exactly made you become, we'll backtrack a little bit. What made you want to become an SLP to begin with? My mom was a Head Start preschool teacher. So okay. she would always drag me to her classes. But then she would always tell me, don't become a teacher. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, mom. So... <laughs> One day she goes, there's this lady and she comes and she just plays with the kids for 30 minutes and then she leaves. She's called a speech therapist. You should do that. <laughs> plays with the kids for 30 minutes. There you go. So I went to observe this woman and that's what it looked like to me when I was, you know, 18. I was like, I can do that. So I started, you know, just taking like prereqs and transferred to Cal State Northridge and just started doing really well in the coursework for communication disorders. Um, so I felt like I had kind of found my sort of calling, I guess you could say, because I was never academically, you know, strong. Um, but once I got into these classes, I was like, this is fascinating. And I just did really well. And then 
discovered I had to go to grad school. And I was like, nobody told me this part. (laughs) (laughs) You obviously made it through. I obviously made it through. It was, yeah, it wasn't like the well thought out inspirational journey to speech therapy. Um, It would have been better for her to say, hey, because my dad actually had um, a brain tumor that took up a fourth of his brain and he had to have it removed. And as a result, he had occupational therapy, physical therapy, and speech therapy. That was actually my mom's first experience with a speech therapist. So I don't know why she didn't refer to that as to why I should be a speech therapist. She's like, this woman plays with kids. So we actually had a conversation about that recently. She's like, yeah, I don't know why that I didn't remember that. (laughs) So you had these experiences that sort of led you to it without even realizing it. Yeah. That's pretty great. And, um, So you said about 10 years you've been a speech therapist and speech language pathologist, however you want to introduce yourself. I know we all use a little bit different lingo depending on the setting we're in. Um, But what, have you always worked with voice? I've always been into voice. When I was in grad school, I just put that down as my like primary area of interest because it just sounded cool because I didn't Mm -hmm. know you know, really what that meant. And it's such an elusive part of our field, I feel like. But I also feel like it's one of the most easy to collect data on if you have the right technology. Like it can give you some really hard numbers, which is always fun. Um, Do you have favorite technology that you use? What's your go-to in a speech therapy session for voice? I I use, I just use a couple of apps right now because I'm doing all of this telepractice and from home. So I don't have any equipment, but I've been using the voice analyst app. Um, but I also found the Voice Tools app, which was created by someone who is transgender, and it live tracks where your voice falls on the gender spectrum. So it's got female, androgynous, and male on there. Oh, um, wow. I've got to look yeah. this up. Yeah, and it's free. So I use that because I try to use the things that are accessible to my clients. Mm-hmm. So that way we're both looking at the same thing. And gives them, I mean, we all carry our, our phones, our, our little computers in our pockets, right? So I use primarily that. And then I use this app called the Pitch app. And it um, basically, as you talk, it'll uh, modulate like where your voice is at. It'll like track your notes. So if you like look at the, if you look at the screen, if you wanted to hit a certain pitch, it would go green if you're right on the pitch. And gotcha. then- Talking, it jumps around red when you're not on a specific pitch. So it gives good feedback, visual feedback. Yeah. Those now, are the pieces of tech I really use. And then just recording and playing back. And you said most of your patients, are most of your patients in California or most are teletherapy? All of them are teletherapy. Most of them are in California. I have somebody from India that I'm working with. I have a teacher who is working at an American school in Malaysia. Um, so yeah, those are the ones that are out of state, really. So you're used to working with different time zones. So this is no big deal, Eastern to Pacific, right? <laughs> yeah, no big deal. I woke up at 5.30 today to see a client because it worked for her. And I was like, it's fine. I got to get up anyway. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's kind of nice. You can start your day and knock out a few patients and sessions and then get going. You said to your school job as well now. Yeah, I'm doing a part-time contract right now. I left a full-time school position because I wanted to give a lot more attention to this and build it out and um, be able to create more resources and 
hopefully train SLPs in the schools to start providing this for trans youth as well. Wow. Okay. So, you know, what was your turning point to say, I want to do this. I want to do this as private therapy. I want to provide this service to this client population. What made you want to do this? Again, it's the idea of voice just being a really interesting part of our communication. It's not just that you're talking, but I really believe, and the more I do this work, I really believe that the voice is really tied to our identity. And when I first started to do the gender affirming voice therapy, it was actually several years ago, and I would take a client here or, or there but I always felt like I wasn't doing them justice because I, I, at that point I hadn't gone through anything that I'd say is really hard in life. Um, so I always felt like I missed that counseling piece of it. But fast forward, life happens, went through therapy of my own and it was weird in like my therapy session, I had this aha moment that had nothing to do with what, what we were talking about, but I thought, oh, this is how you support people who are going through something, you know? And then I thought, I was like, I really want to get back into it with more intention and actually serve them with their voice and communication, but also be there, um, not as a counselor, because we're not counselors, but we do some counseling in our jobs. Um, so it was two years ago where I just decided to leave my per diem job at a hospital out in Los Angeles and dedicate my weekends to really building out this practice. And I just started by reaching out to different centers in Southern California. And then one of them was like, sure, you can come and do a free workshop. So I just created a bunch of materials for myself, practiced, and then I went and ran a four-hour workshop with a group of 10 uh, trans women and they, their response was just tremendous. They were so happy. They felt like they had a bunch of questions that were answered. They, you know, and they, they were really like, keep doing this. Like our community really needs this. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing it. So just piece by piece kind of put all the things together and started getting phone calls. Now, I, I loved the term you used. You said gender-affirming voice therapy. What brought you to that name for it? So I feel like in the area of trans and non-binary competency, it's like every 24 hours, there's something new. So at first, I was calling it voice feminization therapy. And then I started to get some comments and feedback that it's not very inclusive. Maybe some people are not looking for voice feminization. Maybe people want to be gender neutral or learn to code switch. And so I started to sort of see, you know, the term gender affirming with other services that are out there. Um, and I kind of thought, well, gender affirming voice and communication therapy. And sometimes I cut out the therapy and I'll say training or services because I never want any, I don't want anyone to ever feel that they need quote unquote therapy because I don't, I view this more as like a difference, kind of like accent modification. Like somebody, someone comes to you and wants to learn how to control and manipulate their accent. So in certain situations, they speak with that standard American accent and then they go home and they're just comfortable, whatever. I think that this is kind of similar. Whatever the client's personal goal is, that's what I want to work towards. If they want to be 100% feminine in their communication all the time, I'm going to work towards that. I have somebody who um, 
is not going to transition for their own reasons. However, they've got a rich online like video gaming life and they want to be able to fully present as female and not be questioned at all. And so we're working on that. Um, yeah, so the gender affirming kind of comes from, I'm just tr trying to be more inclusive of everybody. Mm -hmm. And that way you are, you open your client base too, that you can serve yeah. a wider variety of people, I think. Yeah. And it's, it ties right in with what we do as speech therapists. Everything is an individualized education plan or an individual plan of care that your yeah. plan of care for, or whatever you want to call it, plan of um, action, who knows, uh, for, for your clients is going to be very individualized. Um, now, obviously taking mind HIPAA and everything else, are there any, um, what can you tell us about a typical therapy session uh, for you when you're working with a patient? So one thing I always ask my clients to do is to always get be really well hydrated coming into our sessions because we're working together for 50 to 60 minutes. Um, so that's sort of like my prerequisite into therapy. Make sure you're really well hydrated. And then when they come in, I pull up whatever homework they've been assigned for the previous week. And I go through all those points, ask them to sort of demonstrate. And then we warm, I warm them up with, I use the vocal function exercises a lot okay. and then sort of deviate off into, you know, just the things that they really need to work on. Um, but I, I have a structure that I wrote up for myself, but I, I use it more as a roadmap, not as like, a cookie cutter formula. So I'll always start with a new client working on their mindset and really getting to know them, their goals and where might there be hindrances and where there might be a lot of freedom. Um, and then training them to understand why vocal hygiene is important, training them on the vocal function exercises, moving them through sort of a mindful voice like guided visualization or meditation, however you want to think about it. Um, and then we go into more of the practical therapy, starting with resonance, establishing that, moving into pitch and intonation through the, as the sessions move on. I like to, I like to kind of go through the speech hierarchy and like cycle through it. Even if it's day one and we're working on resonance, I try to move them through the speech hierarchy to start to, in you know get into their head this idea of generalizing and taking it outside of our session mm -hmm. and so far it's worked about session six seven um if they've been practicing there's like a shift that happens and and they hop on the call with this voice that's suddenly like there that we've heard snippets of but suddenly it's there and they kind of have this look on their face and depending on the person i'll call them out or i'll wait for like 30 minutes uh -huh. if you call them out they'll they'll get really shy and just kind of drop back into their habitual pitch so but that's always really fun and uh that that made me think of just those those moments we have in therapy with any patients where something sort of yeah. clicks yes. um have you as has any of them stood out to you? Like when was a, just a moment that you as a voice therapist were really excited? One of the most exciting times was when a client 
you know, came to me and just right off the bat, when I was still living in Los Angeles, I would have people come to my home office if, you know, they were really close. She just burst through the door and was like, I got called ma'am. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And it had been like, the, we had seen each other like two or three times. So she was just, you know, over the moon about it. And it was so fun. And, and that, you know, that really highlighted to me how important this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing that was really funny to me was a client recently, we get, on the, we get on the call and she goes, so the other day I prank called my wife and pretended to be a telemarketer. And she totally was like, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm not interested in your services and hung up on <laughs> me. And I just thought that was hysterical. So I started telling my clients to do that and they just think it's so funny. And I think it's more motivating to do that because they think they're just playing a prank on friends and family versus being like, call Pizza Hut and order something without telling them your name, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's more fun that way. It's it's funny how we can kind of do a mind shift if we're talking in an accent. I know um, I had a friend who stuttered and he said if he would, when he was like acting on stage or anything else, he was able to um, speak much more fluently when he was speaking yeah. in an accent. Yeah. And I, I use that, this phrase all the time. I say, get out of your own way. Uh-huh. Get out of your head, get out of your way. Cause I hear like there's these little moments. And recently I started having my clients record themselves on their end. And I and I, you know, if it's a particularly good session, I'm like, go back and watch this session and like pay attention to when I'm telling you, oh my gosh, that was so good. That sounded really pretty or really vibrant. Um, and that's been really helpful too for them to get that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, I think in our emails, when Matt and I were setting up the interview with you, we mentioned um, National Pronoun Day is coming up, I believe. And it sparked some memories for me of conversations we've had on the podcast about with any of our clients or with our patients asking how they want to be called. Is mm-hmm. that something you do with your sessions for that gender affirming piece? Yeah. So when I first, uh, hop on a consultation call or during the, ass- during the assessment, I'm very formal about it. And I just preface it as I'm going to ask you questions so that I know how to best address you. Mm-hmm. What's your name? what are your pronouns? And I just write them down. Um, and then I just use them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you you think that's something we should consider doing, especially in private therapy with any patients, whether their voice or like, whether it's a gender affirming voice therapy patient or another patient? I think it's a good practice because I think it just starts to normalize this idea of Mm -hmm. pronouns. Um, yeah, it could even be part of the paperwork just for everybody. And I, I don't, you know, I haven't done private therapy with anybody else. So I don't know what the reaction would be, but you know, you just say, well, you know, in my practice, I just check, check with pronouns. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, oh gosh, a friend of mine had just told me, she lives in Arizona and she said when they, she was filling out some hospital paperwork that that was one of the things they circled on medical history was how they wanted to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I actually noticed at my last district on the uh, IEP platform, they had actually um, added non-binary to the gender options. There wasn't a pronoun piece to it, but they had added the non-binary piece. And that's the thing that kind of got me thinking about doing this in, in schools. Um, but yeah, I think with pronouns, it's just normalizing it. That's 
I spend a lot of time on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Share share with us your Twitter if you'd like. Speech Twitter and trans Twitter. Um, I think there is a hashtag, hashtag trans Twitter. Um, and so I just go on there and I read a lot. I don't participate unless it's like, you know, I have something positive to add or like valuable. I mostly go on there for my own education just to see what is being talked about, what are the frustrations. Um, and the, the topic of pronouns that I see a lot is add it to your Twitter profile, just make it normal. Mm-hmm. Of how you want to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I mean, just make it part of the everyday. And like you said, if it's on a medical background form or on an intake form, it's less uh, almost confrontational, I guess, too, if they... I I just try to take my cues from the community, you know? Mm -hmm. So... So, um, speaking of community, our community and the speech science listeners, um, if we have any listeners who you know, want to, wherever they're located in the country, uh, support the gender-affirming um, community, how can, they, how can they do that as a speech therapist, whether they're providing voice therapy or not? I mean, I think just getting, um, just training yourself on LGBTQ competency, uh, whether that's just doing your own research online or going to a center and perhaps volunteering. Um, because I think, you know, it's just something that, you know, it, that's a good question. <laughs> You've stumped me. I've stumped that, I, I don't know. Because for myself, I just, I just saw it as like, this is, uh, I don't know how many people are doing this. And I, I think all of us speech therapists are helpers, you know, so I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I want to contribute to this. I want to do something for someone that maybe someone else hasn't done. And so I just started to read and I just started to research. I did the volunteering at the one center in Santa Barbara and just did the free workshop, got a lot of feedback, a lot of education um, from those women. And um, Yeah, I think just exposing yourself and learning about what in your local area is the greatest need. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of going, again, going from there, because I think every area has different needs too. Yeah, definitely true. And have you you connected with other SLPs who are doing similar private practice therapy? There's a couple that I've connected with. Um, that are doing specifically transgender voice therapy. Um, there's a really great group on Facebook, and there's um, a lot of good information on there. I think it's called the Gender Spectrum Voice and Communication Group. Okay. Yeah. And what if an SLP wants to start working with this population? Yeah. There's a lot of great courses um, online. I know there's one on speechpathology.com. I have one on NSS that's going to be coming out. Um, It's going through peer review right now. Um, My favorite book is the classic one that everyone talks about, the voice and communication therapy for the transgender client and gender nonconforming client. Um, And then uh, just, I think... I think finding a therapist who does this and consulting with them either over the phone or if they are 
local shadowing them? I think those Asking are great questions, ways. right? <laughs> those are good starting points. And I, I loved your idea of, because I've talked to more people who have started a private practice and start it with the free presentation at a mom's group or at an organization or a facility or a meeting somewhere to connect with the community. Yeah. And especially, um, I think with the trans and non-binary community, accessibility is a huge issue. Um, so any sort of free service that can be offered, whether it's once a month at a center or perhaps just connecting with a local organization and saying, I'll give services to one person for free can make a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. Now, so I asked you about a typical session. Let's see if, um, is there anything that I missed that you want to share with our audience? Um, I don't think you missed anything. I think the thing that's been on my mind that I really want to get out there and talk about is um, bringing these services into um, the school setting for the trans youth and non-binary youth. Um, I heard a really sad statistic. I connected with the president of PFLAG, the, the Newport Beach chapter of PFLAG, um, and I had lunch with her and I and was- And tell me, I, I'm not familiar, what is PFLAG? So PFLAG, I'm gonna um, look it up right now, what it stands for. But it's basically, it's um, for families and their children who are LGBTQ. Okay. Yeah, and they have local chapters. Um, so I connected with the PFLAG here in Newport and um, I was having lunch with her and telling her, you know, I, I, this is what I do, but I really think that there's a need for uh, the youth because I get a lot of youth emailing me. Um, some, their parents don't know, and that usually doesn't pan out because of, I think, cost. Um, and then mm -hmm. I've had a couple where their parents are on board and I talk to mom and dad and I talk to the kid and... Um, so I connected with her and I'm sharing this as she was like, she told me that there's a 41% attempted suicide rate amongst unsupported trans youth and non-binary youth. And that just, that's uh, heartbreaking to me. Like nobody should, that, that shouldn't be the case. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we can bring this into the schools, you know, we can not only, we can be a supportive adult, whether we are actively providing a service or not, but we can also educate parents and, you know, let them seek out services in their community if that's what they prefer to do. But I think it's an important piece for school-based SLPs to start to understand this um, as more kids are coming out um, and living, you know, what they feel inside. Yeah. And just like you said, knowing that what resources are available, whether it's yeah. at a clinic or whether it's a private pay or whether it's in the school. Yeah. And I, it's kind of like, I, I feel, you know, I hope I'm saying the right things. I hope everyone can understand like my heart's in the right place. Um, and I know it's kind of that, you know, this seems more like a private practice issue, but I think it is something that's important to be accessible in the schools. So, and this, yeah. this may be, uh, 
silly question on my end, but is it similar to accent modification where I know that that can be very difficult or rare to have insurance coverage on a service like that? Is, I, is this coverage that could ever be, or is it ever reimbursed by insurance in your experience? I've had a couple people reach out and ask if I take insurance. Um, I have an MPI number, but I don't really know how to use it <laughs> to super bill. So, um, some insurance I think does reimburse for this, Okay. Uh, but I think, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a standard. I don't think it's mm -hmm. across the board. Yeah. And, and it should be, I, I wish so many things were more easily covered by insurance or at least reimbursable for families when they seek out um, yeah. families, patients, adults, kids, whoever it is who seek out um, additional services than what's provided in a school or a hospital or a clinic. Yeah, I have seen and I've read on some forums um, that it, it, you know, voice and communication therapy, whether gender affirming or not, is all just voice and communication therapy. So I think it can be billed as voice therapy, but I don't know enough about that to really make a intelligent statement. <laughs> no, that's okay. But that's, but that's what I know. Yeah, that's what I know. Um, so what is the, what is the biggest takeaway? What do you want any listeners to take away from this tonight? <laughs> so I think the biggest thing that I've taken away that I would want to share with people is that transgender people, non-binary people have so much to offer just like everybody. Um, and I think being given a voice actually allows them to just live their life. I had a client tell me, it was another ma'am situation. I had a client tell me, Tina, my whole life goal was to be called ma'am. And now that I've met that goal, I need to find a new goal. Like, yes, you should have other life goals. I want that for every client that I work with because I, the people that I've worked with, their stories are fascinating and they are wonderful people and very intelligent and have such phenomenal things to share with their friends and family and community and the world. And I hope that this one piece of voice therapy can really set them free to do that without feeling like every time I talk, I, you know, I feel X, Y, and Z, and then I don't want to talk. That's mm -hmm. the whole basis of our field, right? <laughs> right, absolutely, is giving a voice, right? Yeah, yeah. Helping so, people find their voice. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think that's the big takeaway is just, you know, I think we need more people paying attention to this community, becoming competent and giving these services and just increasing the accessibility. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I love to hear about these specialty areas of people of SLPs finding something that they're truly passionate about, that they can really be that passionate support and advocate for. Um, yeah. So I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>
What was he doing? Uh, he has an interview, something going on. That's right. Uh, he was asked to do related. a Facebook Live from Maryland. So if you see his, uh, I think it's uh, Grow Now Speech Therapy website, uh, check out what he's doing. He's doing some good, good work. Coming up on this part of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about Down Syndrome and the Voice. But first, this article out of the Seacoast Online, uh, they're using virtual reality to help heal concussions. And I thought this was one of the coolest ideas and wanted to know what your thoughts were on how to try to adapt this to real life speech therapy. So basically what they're doing, Michelle, uh, they're wearing virtual reality glasses and with concussions, uh, they're able to uh, safely reintroduce stimuli such as noise or lights in a controlled way and get people back to, you know, looking both ways before crossing the road or sitting at a ball game or anything else i think this is one of the coolest things that we could do in therapy i this is fantastic it, because i know there's been more and more of a push in schools at least when i was coaching i don't know if you guys do it matt with um i think it was called contact or impact was the program mm -hmm. we used to get a baseline for our high schoolers um for all it was whether you played a sport or not because you could get a concussion anywhere that's um, a good idea all freshmen and juniors took it i believe so that they mm -hmm. had a baseline in case they ever had a head injury. And uh, it was computer-based testing to get that baseline. And I think on this, they're talking about getting a baseline for people and then using that virtual reality to reintroduce the stimuli. And it's it makes sense because if, if we have... A, how many times if you've worked in a rehab facility or probably more so acute care for SLPs who do a cognitive or some other assessment for a TBI or a concussion. And you just want to say, I wish I'd known you before this injury because mm -hmm. I don't really know what your baseline was. Like, how do Bingo. I get you back to your baseline? If you don't have the spouse or the family member or the parent who can really say, no, they, they used to do this or they were able to do this, um, to work back towards. So use this technology why not and i i've even heard of using virtual reality for um trauma like for oh really th that there's research and some therapy using it for um trauma for reintroducing things to kind of work through whatever that traumatic post-traumatic experience was um in a virtual reality setting that's not as intense so that they can cool. get past it so it's a similar idea i think of kind of retraining the brain well, I think about it like this, like we have students that uh, work in, you know, a setting, any type of an SLP that's working in any school setting knows that, you know, we have to fake set up a restaurant. We have to fake set up a grocery store or a supermarket. And, you know, the kid has to pretend to walk down the aisle and pick up the Coke, uh, the box of Coke coca-cola or you know fake walk up to the cash register or we do it through a computer program or an ipad this would be so much cooler to slap a pair of goggles on a kid that's able to handle it and you could walk them through a virtual reality setting for a grocery store or in line at a mcdonald's and you could practice that before taking the student out to the real world and you know they've already been there I mean, that's what we use technology like that for. I know mm -hmm. the military uses it for simulators uh, before they go to what's called gunnery 
uh, to actually use live fire ammunition with tanks and Bradleys and dangerous equipment, right? They have to pass certain skill levels in a simulator, which is basically... Oh, really? A virtual reality. Not to this extent. It's not fancy, as fancy probably as the virtual reality that some of this technology provides. But um, this concept isn't new. So why not use it to, you know, I I think that reality is going to be there in 10 years, in 20 years for speech therapists to be able to potentially use things like this. I've heard it talked about in schools if they have funding for it to do obviously your idea is to take kids on a field trip if possible in person but say you can't take your kids on a field trip or it would never be possible to take your kids on a field trip to the Great Wall of China but now instead of just showing a video which used to be a VHS and then became a DVD and then a Blu-ray and then high definition whatever that looks like you're standing next to the person is now going to become VR virtual reality that's true it's so cool, man. It I is. love this kind of stuff. Yeah. Are you using technology at home or in your school district or in your therapy? Head over to our website. Let us know. SpeechSciencePodcast.com. Let us know what you think of what we're talking about. Let us know what technology you're using and where you could see it. Head, or also email us SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798. Or you could be like Marie G. Uh, she reached out to us on Facebook and sent us a message uh, about a couple weeks ago. Uh, her message was she was listening to the podcast about executive functioning and had a question about specific executive functioning goals for children with severe cognitive impairments or maybe down syndrome. Um, Michelle, for me, I don't, I'm starting to get back into the habit of writing a specific goal. Um, I've been spending a lot of time lately writing my part into section seven about how I could approach or attach about executive functioning and here in Ohio, they're making a big deal about section five, which is the transition part of an IEP. And Mm. I'm finding that there's a lot of room for executive functioning skills. Uh, They're like split attention tasks are important for the job training. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not familiar. So I'm going to ask you, Matt, Mm -hmm. maybe they were broken up. Is that a national thing where they're broken up when you say section this section five, or is that a state thing? That might be an Ohio thing. So section seven is where you put the specifically designed services. So this is where I'm saying the student is going to receive direct small group speech and language therapy intervention or therapy to target executive functioning skills of split attention using modeling repetition. Okay. Okay. When I did IEPs, I was in Colorado and I know we had all those sections, but I, I, maybe we just didn't refer to them as section five, section seven, and they very well may be numbered that way. (laughs) No, they're not actually in Ohio. They are, but I've received some, uh, recently some out of state ones and some out of state ones. They are wonky. Hmm, Okay. I, I mean, I liked ours. I didn't have an issue with them, but I know we didn't call it by the number. Oh, I gotcha. (laughs) Yeah, no, Ohio literally has like a big one and it says future planning. Step two. Uh, And then it's like, check this if he's got a, or the student's got a behavior. Step three, Mm -hmm. the profile. Yeah. So here we do one, two, three, four, five. Can you repeat your question? Because I got distracted. (laughs) Yeah, so no, it was said, do you, uh, uh, Marie G says, uh, do you do specific executive functioning goals for children with severe cognitive impairments and Down syndrome? I don't have a specific goal because we have to put them towards the content standards. 
our goals have to relate back somehow to the content standards. Yeah. So when I'm focusing more on executive functioning lately, it's going into the specially designed services or the um, transition page. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it depends on the kid. If, if that is a major deficit, mm -hmm. then you, you're going to have to make plans for it. Yeah. The hard part with the goals, though, is that they have to be linked back to um, like a extended content standard and they have to be measurable. So yeah, if you're saying it makes sense. But. Yeah. Like if you're saying split attention, like what do you mean by split attention? Are they able to focus Dual tasking? Yeah. yeah. You're talking about. Yeah. OK. Or so, is it pay attention while somebody's yelling on the other side of the room? Yeah, background noise versus, mm -hmm. okay. So we just need to be more specific like usual. Yep. <laughs> but no, that was a good question. And you could always send us a message uh, through Facebook. Michelle, this, you brought this article up. Uh, this is out of, where is this out of? It's an older one, actually. Mm -hmm. I saw it shared on a, a Facebook group. It is. It is by Price, 1994. It's the Voice of People with Down Syndrome and EMG Biofeedback Study uh, out of Down Syndrome Research and Practice. Um, they looked at the laryngeal muscle tension of a group of 30 people with Down Syndrome and compared that to three other uh, groups of people, uh, those with learning disabilities, with those with functional dysphonia, and a normal control group. Overall, they found that the energy level needed to activate the vocal mechanism uh, from rest to voice level is almost twice as great for the group with Down syndrome as the control group. I that blew my mind away. Yeah, and I what's funny is I've I haven't seen data on this before. Like I've oh, worked really? with quite a few, which is it's from 1994, so obviously I've I've missed yeah. that. But um, you know, working with individuals with Down syndrome in a camp, I've worked at individuals with Down syndrome and just patients that I've had over the years. Um, you know, I've heard other therapists say, I'm sure I've said it myself of, you know, it takes, it takes more effort to get the words out. It's for a person mm -hmm. with down syndrome. We describe it with these kind of longer flowery ways. And this is saying, you know, an EMG biofeedback study is giving us, gave us how many years ago. And maybe mm -hmm. there's more studies on this now. If someone knows, please let us know, um, some data to actually share with people to say, this is why potentially why because it is a, a case study of a limited number i understand um it's harder objectively harder to produce a sentence or connected mm -hmm. speech for someone with down syndrome what i found interesting was they looked at the extroversion versus introvert and uh the group with down syndrome found themselves this they identified self-identified at 60 percent of introverted or intro as an introvert yeah and and they looked at how much energy it took and it took almost twice the amount of energy to produce the same amount as the control group mm -hmm. and that's, that's crazy that's significant that's huge so has there been any follow studies on this one uh we think we need to i'm gonna do some digging and see if i can find it for us for next week yeah that'd be great i'm just gonna do a quick biofeedback yeah. And the number one article is the one that you linked with us. Okay. And where is this done? I'm looking at where this research know. is done. Hmm. Uh, I did find a newer one, the EEG neurofeedback treatment of patients with Down syndrome. 
And we'll talk about these next next week. The EEG neurofeedback. Okay. University we'll of Portsmouth. Huh. Yeah, this is another eight-child study. You know what? I'll talk. I'll we'll, I'll send this to you, and we can read about it for next week. But that's kind of intense. That like this is the first I'm reading about this. And like you, I've been working in the field for we're almost at ten years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Always learning. That's what we need to be. That's why we say be willows, right? Uh huh. All right. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. Give us a phone call, 614-681-1798, or uh, hashtag SSPod. Make sure you also rate and review us on iTunes and find us on patreon.com slash speechsciencepodcast. Michelle, what are you doing this week uh, besides reading more on these studies about voice output and Down syndrome? Uh, what do you got planned this week? <laughs> well, this weekend... Uh, trying to get out to a pumpkin patch. I want to find a place to go apple picking. I know that's so Aww. fall, but it's one of my favorite fall activities. You're so and basic. I'm so basic. Hey, I've been doing that long before basic was a thing. <laughs> have you heard of uh, um, Have you heard of the the new thing that's kind of replaced basic though? Of uh, uh, not a basic girl, a visco girl. A what? Yeah, you, you, I'll look this up. I'll send it to you. But my my younger sisters-in-law who are in college uh, have taught me all about a Visco girl, which is apparently Chaco sandals. It's uh, the things that we combine are so odd. Hydro flask water bottles, shell necklaces, metal straws, wearing like baggy shirts that are beachy kind of vibes. Uh, it's very interesting <laughs> to me. A very specific purse I've never heard of. I f- I'm aging myself. So Here we any go. young the, SLPs, come on, let, keep us updated Visco? on the Visco girl. Visco girl is typically a love child of Snapchat and Tumblr. Uh, this species can be seen at your local species. Starbucks with a metal straw, a scrunchie, and a signature hydro flask and a big crater on the side of their head. Visco girls obtain their name from the social media application Visco, which is just another version of Instagram. They're extremely dangerous as their <laughs> uh, lethal toxin of opinions comes out. Oh, my gosh. It's just another stereotype. There's always oh. a new one. You know, a basic girl. Why are they all connected to Starbucks? That's what I want to know, apparently. Oh, here's, a, here's another de- definition. A girl who owns scrunchies, a hydro flask, an Apple Watch, AirPods, Apple Watch, and Birkenstocks. Also, shout out to a friend of mine from college who works for Hydro Flask because she sent me my Hydro Flask when we were in grad school or right after grad school in like 2012. And now it is some pulp culture phenomenon. Does she want to send me one? That'd be awesome. (laughs) Can we get a speech science Hydro Flask? (laughs) We'll see. Kristen, you want to send a... She's probably not listening. She won't listen. She's not listening at this point. She's not a speech therapist. (laughs) For me over the next couple of weeks, uh, progress reports are due here soon. And I've got a couple of ETRs done that I need to write up. But other than that, I am loving a manageable caseload. And I will say this for any SLP out there that you feel stuck in your job. uh, Find one that you like. I went from having a caseload of uh, last year. I had 120 at the beginning of the year, ended at 67. And that was not weighted. And this year I have a weighted caseload of about 48 students. What does weighted mean? Um, So in Ohio, um, we look at a student that's a, you know, a student with autism uh, requires a little bit more work 
to plan a therapy session for than a student with initial R at the phrase level. So it's more workload weighted. Yes, correct. Or that student with an AAC device planning planning and fixing their device uh, takes more work than, uh, again, an articulation student. On the on the average, not always, mm-hmm. but on the average. Makes so, sense. go get those jobs if you can find them. That's what I did, and I am loving it. Yeah, I know it's I don't hard. Mean to rub you get that it, in. but it, taking the risk to make a change is a big deal, and you did it. Advocating for yourself—that's the big thing. We tell our patients and their families every day. Mm-hmm. Our intro music today is Please Listen Carefully by Jazard, licensed under an attribution and share alike license. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock, copyright a John Deku. You can find all his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. And the closing music is the Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Michelle, you don't have to do that when you are doing the live show at ASHA. I'm just making the plug for that one. <laughs> That's right. right. That's Who's exciting. going to Asha? We're oh, doing we a live show with Mary Ling and me, right? Uh, yep. And I think Rachel Madel from Talking With Tech will be doing an interview as well. We'll have more details about that coming up shortly. But for Michelle Wintering and uh, the... <laughs> did I say it right? I always forget you that I'm said, saying it right. You said it right. I don't know what you're for worried about. For some reason, I always want to say Michelle Winters, and that's not right. You've known all. me a long time. I know, and I still screw it up. Michelle Wintering... The absent Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, in the immortal words of Janice Wright, be a willow, don't be an oak. So long, everybody. This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.